Hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the latest in the series of Investec Economic Webcasts. I'm Philip Shaw. I'm Investec's Chief Economist here in London. Well, here in England, we're, of course, on the edge of a lockdown here, and hopefully um, within a fortnight or so of a trade deal being struck between the UK and the EU. And, of course, both those events have profound implications for the economy and financial markets. Of course, here this morning, uh, we're focusing on events overnight from the States, specifically, of course, in the shape of the election results and the uncertainty that we are uh, faced with now and the various question marks. So to look at the way that markets have reacted and to give you their views on prospects, I'm pleased to say I've got two Investec colleagues with me, and I'm happy to say that neither of them looks particularly bleary-eyed this morning, despite uh, being up since the early hours of the morning trying to see what is happening. So um, first, welcome back, John Wynne Evans, um, Head of Investment Strategy for Investec Wealth and Investment. Uh, morning, John. I trust you got some sleep last night. Uh, yes, thanks, Phil. Um, it was a reasonably restful night. Thank you. I think I got up about half past four in the end to see how things were evolving and um, been tracking it ever since. And um, yeah, fascinating night so far. So we'll try to unpack what the implications are. Great, John. Welcome to you. And secondly, we have Lewis Thorne with us. And Lewis works on our corporate currency sales desk. Uh, Lewis has been with us at Investec for over 10 years now and now helps mid-sized and large businesses uh, manage their foreign exchange risk. Uh, morning to you, Lewis. Morning. How are we doing? We're good, thank you. Right. Um, the plan for this morning is I'll, I'll make some comments about the election, uh, followed by John, who will speak on equities and, and Lewis on currencies. And, you know, of course, we'll finish off with questions and answers. I'm sure there are probably more questions than there are answers, but we will do our utmost to try and answer your queries. So as ever, to ask your questions, simply type in your question in the Q&A panel on the right-hand sides of your screens and select all panelists. As always, just a couple of housekeeping points to make. Um, firstly, um, all attendees will be on mute. Um, secondly, if you've got any problems with the audio, please let us know by typing into the Q&A box and the AB people will be in touch with you. Um, number three, if, if you're new or you'd like to give some feedback um, on today's event, um, there will be a survey on the webinar um, in some pages where you can sign up for our fortnightly economic webinar going forward and give some feedback. And last, we are recording this session and our comments do not constitute investment advice. So let's turn towards the election results or at least what we know uh, about the, the results so far. And it really isn't clear, but I think we can make some key points here. Of course, as we explained two weeks ago, um, the presidential system in the US is based on the electoral college system and who wins in each state, um, delegating electoral college voters uh, to vote for the president. It is not based on the popular vote. So let's have a look at the battleground states uh, which will determine who has won. Certainly, Trump has done better than the polls have been signaling. And you know, I think the most definitive statement we can make is that the Democrats have not won a blue wave at all in these elections. But there are still a number of question marks. So first, in the battleground states, um, most are still counting. It does look as if um, Florida and Ohio have remained Republican. Um, you know, that was the story of the uh, 2016 election. 
as well. So they haven't changed hands. Uh, but it does look as though the Democrats have captured Arizona, although not all of the news agencies have actually called uh, Arizona for the Democrats yet. Um, the big questions around the states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, and also to a certain extent, North Carolina and Georgia as well. And what is being counted at the moment are mainly the early in-person votes and also the mail-in ballots. And what we know uh, is that those votes tend to be heavily democratic. So if you look at the results as already declared in each state of those battleground states, it looks as though the Democrats are well behind. But because the, the mail-in and the, um, the um, in early in-person votes have yet to be included or counted, um, the Democrats could actually be closer um, than you know, the, the numbers actually appear on a headline basis. So to give you an example, I'll probably have to look at my figures here, but in, in Pennsylvania, uh, the Democrats are, I think, 670,000 votes behind. There are something like 1.4 million votes to be counted. So I think if you do the arithmetic, it means that the Democrats have to win something like 75% of those remaining votes. Now, that seems like a very, very tall order. But you should have to consider, number one, that um, a lot of the areas um, where those, that counting is still taking place are in heavily Democratic areas, um, such as, for example, Philadelphia County, where I think Hillary Clinton four years ago won over 80% of the vote. Plus the fact that, as I said, those votes tend to be, in any case, um, leaning heavily towards the Democrats. So it's not impossible that Pennsylvania goes Democratic. Um, although it is a bit, a bit of an uphill struggle in that respect. And you can do the maths, I think, for, for the remainder of the states. It, it is an uphill task for the Democrats, but it's not impossible. So, you know, what happens if, say, the Democrats get um, Philadelphia and perhaps one of the other battleground states I mentioned? It could be extremely close. And when I was describing the Electoral College system two weeks ago, I mentioned that the states send it's winner take all and the states send all of those electoral college electors um, depending on who's won there are two exceptions to that the states of nebraska and their main um, they if you like split the states into um, several areas and each of those areas send um, an elector to the electoral college so you can actually get split votes within those two states and the result might actually depend on um, what happens there if, it, if it's very, very close. The other factor that you know, we have to consider is that um, counting doesn't finish for a few days in several states. So I think if you take North Carolina, for example, um, they can accept late ballots. I think it's until about the 12th of November, providing that the, um, they are postmarked uh, of the day of the election or before. So the counting could well continue. Again, if it's very, very close, um, we, we might not know the result for um, about a week or so. The final possibility is that um, if, and I, I have to say, looking at the numbers at this particular point in time, it, it is a very big if. Um, if the Democrats win, get a narrow majority in the presidential election, it's possible that President Trump um, launches a Supreme Court challenge based on the fact that either there's fraudulent voting in a particular state or the particular rules uh, are unconstitutional. And 
you know, he has already tried the second one on in a couple of states and he has lost. But it may not come to that, but there is a, I think we should I leave the possibility open uh, just in case. So I think what we have at, at this point in time, we're, we're speaking, it's just after 10 o'clock, we're waiting for um, an announcement from one of the states, I think it's Wisconsin, that are going to make a, a, an announcement on, on the counting there. Um, but the dynamics are changing um, almost minute by minute here. But that's as far as we know the presidential situation. On the other elections, um, the House of Representatives, look, that's pretty simple. It looks as though the Democrats have, have very much kept their majority there. The Senate, I thought, was going to be the really interesting battle here. Um, previous to the election, um, the Republicans had 53 seats, two Democrats 47. So the Democrats were looking for a net gain, effectively, of four. As expected, they've, they've lost Alabama, which they gained in a special election a couple of years ago. Um, Colorado and Arizona have gone Democratic, so that's a net gain of one. Can they win others? It's not impossible. The Republicans look um, as if they're, they're doing pretty well in, in areas such as Maine um, and Montana, and at least one of the, the Georgia Senate seats up for grabs. Um, so it's not all done yet, but it looks as though the Republicans have kept hold of the Senate. Um, in terms of markets, um, before we turn to our sector experts here, um, the dollar does look slightly firmer overnight. Um, Treasury yields have come down uh, appreciably. Presumably, that's on um, the likelihood of a lack of big blue wave democratic spending on infrastructure. Um, equities, as far as we've seen this morning, seem to be um, somewhat more volatile. So um, let's have a deeper dive into equity markets. And let me hand over to John Wynne Evans. Uh, thanks very much, Phil. And um, obviously, this is um, you know extraordinary times. Um, it seems to be extraordinary times you know, every four years at the moment, and every election that goes on. Um, and uh, we're getting used to having to sort of unpack these extraordinary events uh, in, in in sort of uh, real time, as it were, as they're developing before our very eyes. Uh, so, what I'm going to talk about a little bit this morning, um, I'll just go through, for example how we've sort of seen the build up to the election, what markets have been doing during that, because I think that gives us some clues as to which way uh, markets will potentially head uh, as we go forward. Uh, we'll talk about the right now, uh, which is what's been going on overnight, uh, talk a little bit about you know, what might happen in the shorter term, and then focus on you know, what really is the important stuff for us, which is the longer term uh, investment themes and what the influences might be. And I think in the, you know, Looking at the short term here, there's a lot of uncertainty. And the truth is markets do not like uncertainty. Investors think they know how to price risk. Uh, they can weigh risk and price it accordingly. Um, uncertainty is you know, when you really don't know what is going to happen. Uh, and that usually requires something of a higher risk premium uh, for financial assets. So it's that balance between risk and uncertainty at the moment that we're really trying to um, deal with at this particular point. Over the last few weeks, there's no doubt that, as I say, we've had some pointers from the market about how it feels. So if you go back to October the 11th, um, Joe Biden had a lead in the polls. Uh, these are the nationwide polls in the US, according to Real Clear Politics, of around about 10.5 points. Um, over the course of the sort of two and a half to three weeks leading up to the election, that lead came in. Uh, to I think on the last one I saw over the weekend was 7.2, uh, 
So, uh, you know, you could see the lead tightening, uh, as it were, and, 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 and a sort of bit of a comeback uh, for Trump at that point. And that coincided with something of a sell-off in uh, the equity markets uh, over that period. Now, of course, it's impossible to disaggregate exactly what's going on in markets, how much of that was down to the election effect, how much of it was down to uh, the sort of uh, ongoing increase in COVID cases and the threat of new lockdowns, particularly in Europe. Um, but uh, you, you would believe that some of that uncertainty was being uh, priced into markets over the last couple of weeks and probably exacerbated as well by the fact we ran into the end of the month. Liquidity does tend to drop a little bit at that point. And also, uh, you know, I think it's quite interesting if you look at the results of the uh, investment banks over the last couple of weeks that have been coming out, they've made humongous amounts of money this year from trading uh, in uh, financial markets because of the volatility. And uh, I think they'd be quite happy to sit on those profits as well through to the end of the year in the hope of being paid some nice bonuses, hopefully, for them. Um, and uh, they're not really willing to put up a lot of liquidity into markets right now. So that could well exaggerate some of the moves that we see during this period of uncertainty. So the, generally, as I say, the shape that we saw was, you know, if the if if the if the polls are running sort of more favorably for the Democrats, uh, then it was you know very much a case of bond yields backing up a little bit in expectation uh, of stimulus uh, support for infrastructure and green energy sectors, for example, um, and people moving away from healthcare and uh, oil in particular, where there were deemed to be you know potential changes there. Uh, Obamacare coming through again for healthcare, for example, uh, and potentially not not a ban on fracking overall for the oil sector necessarily, but certainly uh, thoughts that it may well uh, that, that that Biden said he was not going to you know release new licenses for fracking on federal land in the U.S. Uh, for example. So there's certain sectors as well that were being affected by this. Now, what's interesting is that um, overnight. Um, what we saw was nothing like as volatile as in 2016, where markets really did move very, very sharply at that point. Uh, the volumes going through the futures market for the S&P 500 in the US were about 60% of the level of 2016. So you can see there's just not, not so much investor um, participation at this particular point. Um, and I guess if you go back to 2016 as well, you know, We'd gone from everyone thinking that Hillary was going to win to Trump winning during the course uh, of the night. So there was a big shift of repositioning um, on that night, whereas this time, you know, there isn't that shift of positioning because nobody quite knows what's going to happen next. So no one's putting their cards on the table um, at this point. Uh, but basically, the key things we've seen is bond yields coming down overnight, as Phil referred to, which is basically because of the lack of potential for a uh, you know, maybe $3 trillion plus immediate stimulus, uh, which the Democrats would have hoped to put through. Um, there will definitely be a stimulus uh, to counteract some of the COVID effects uh, in the United States. It's just a question of, sort of timing and scale as much as anything else. Uh, and if Trump is there, I don't think the um, Democrats will stand in his way drastically at this point. If you can't suddenly go from saying you, you want a $3 trillion stimulus to voting against a one to one and a half trillion dollar stimulus after all. Uh, I think that would be a, a crazy stance for them to take, uh, but it will definitely be a smaller one than would otherwise have been the case. So as I say, the bond market is kind of reacting uh, positively to that. 
Um, the One of the quid pro quos for that, though, is that the banks sector, uh, which likes higher bond yields and a steeper yield curve, um, and actually had a very good day yesterday, for example, as the market seemed to swing back towards a little bit of that blue wave theory yesterday. Um, the bank sector um, won't take this particularly well, so we're seeing some selling off in that area. Uh, this morning uh, in Europe, in some of the opening forays we've seen so far, we've seen that companies that are um, exposed to kind of infrastructure spending in the US and to the sort of green energy trade in the US are trading down as well. Um, as we sort of look forward over the next few days, uh, as Phil alluded to, we're definitely going into this legal situation now about what happens next. Uh, the challenge will be to the absentee ballots in particular and the validity of those. Um, intriguingly, of course, um, Trump you know, wants to have it both ways. Uh, so whereas in Arizona, for example, they counted all the absentee ballots first and now they're getting on with the rest of it. Um, and those absentee ballots were very favorable to the Democrats. He wants them to carry on counting in Arizona so he could make the most of what's left, as it were, for the votes on the day. Whereas in states such as Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, where the absentee balance will be counted last and again will be heavily favorable towards Democrats, but where currently on what has been counted, Trump is in the lead, he doesn't want those to be counted. Uh, so you can see uh, that there's um, all sorts of potential shenanigans to come over the next few days. And obviously, you know, if this goes to the Supreme Court, Trump has already made the point that uh, he wanted Amy Coney Barrett to be appointed there uh, very much with a view to settling the election potentially in his favor. So, you know, he's got form here and he's made his point already. So nothing really that's happening is unexpected uh, on that basis. People are talking openly about this turning into some sort of constitutional crisis. I tend to feel that, um, you know, journalists in particular, political commentators would like it to be a constitutional crisis because that gives them a lot more to talk about. Um, so I, I think they're probably bigging it up a little bit too much from that particular uh, aspect. But certainly, again, you know, that raises the potential for the risk premium going up for financial assets um, over the next few days. And in that case, the sort of path of least resistance for markets would be somewhat lower. But um, as I say, I don't, you know, we don't feel they're going to go markedly lower over this particular period. So in the medium term, what happens next? Well, you know, on the one hand, if Trump remains uh, the president, um, uh, we, we, it, it's back to the status quo, really, I think, uh, for markets. It will be Secular growth stocks uh, performing better than cyclical growth stocks. It'll be large cap doing better than small cap uh, from an index position. You know, the NASDAQ will do better than the S&P 500, will do better than the Russell 2000 in the States. And all of those might do somewhat better in the short term uh, than non-US equities. And um, if uh, Biden becomes president, you can just flip all those things uh, around on their head. In the long term, though, I think the key thing for us, you know, the COVID situation is going to be a much bigger driver ultimately, and um, whether or not uh, a vaccine, uh, a viable vaccine is announced and authorised potentially and hopefully before the end of the year. We don't necessarily think that's the, the silver bullet, which is going to cure everything, but it puts us on a path in the right direction at least. That'll be a key thing. Uh, look out even longer term, you know, it's sort of things like demographic trends, aging populations, uh, shrinking potentially populations in some of the larger uh, Western democracies, how we deal with all the debt that's been accumulated, not only over the last, you know, three or four decades, but particularly recently 
to deal with COVID. These will be much more germane to uh, portfolio building um, over the next few years than um, what is going on right now in the US. So um, we have to kind of look through this. We can enjoy it uh, as the theater it is, um, but uh, there's, there's still plenty more to come afterwards, which we can you know, analyze more uh, for the long term. John, thank you very much for that number of very valuable points you made there. Uh, to look at currency markets, um, Lewis, would you like to share your thoughts with us, please? Yeah, absolutely. I think the market reaction so far in light of any clear result is fairly muted, actually, and probably a little bit confused. I think, obviously, earlier in the year, we had a situation where Trump was, I think, about eight to one with certain bookies uh, to go ahead and, and win the presidential election again. And over the course of the year, those odds have, have gradually narrowed. And even yesterday, I think it was still two to one. So it's, it's a bit of a surprised result. And I think it's caught the markets on the back foot a little bit. I think going into this, we were probably expecting, or if, certainly if you'd have asked me a couple of months ago where we're at with it, you probably would have expected a Biden victory and the dollar to weaken off slightly uh, for most of our corporates who trade through sterling, perhaps a move up towards 135. Obviously, on the on the sterling side, the Brexit outcome has largely been holding that back. Um, so the market move over the last 24 hours has been fairly constrained. Last night, we saw the dollar selling off a little bit and sterling dollar actually got as high as 131.40. Um, and euro dollar to one uh, 117.70. Sterling dollars back down again now quite significantly. So it's well under 130, uh, trading at about one, well, just above 129 at the moment. So I think that's a little bit unexpected um, in terms of where we were thinking things could have been, should we spoken a couple of months ago. I think the interesting thing to note is, is what we can expect over the next sort of week or so. Obviously, the result isn't clear cut at the moment, and there is still this potential for legal challenges. Obviously, we saw yesterday on the news images of shops being boarded up all across the country. So they're certainly expecting some sort of civil unrest on the back of, of any results. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if that how that materialises. And obviously, if that things really do flare up, that is likely to affect the currency markets um, even more. Um, one interesting development for a lot of our corporates is we've actually seen um, the option volatility come off a little bit overnight in the near term. So although there's some potential volatility over the next week or so, it does make uh, hedging slightly cheaper for UK corporates despite the Brexit situation coming up. So obviously being a net importer, the vast majority of our clients either sell sterling and buy either euros or US dollars. And their primary concern over the next last sort of couple of months has been on Brexit, quite frankly. So are we going to get a deal? Is there going to be an extension or, or are we going to end up in a no deal situation? So the US election has almost been like a little bit of a bump in the road that they've had to navigate before the real risk coming up down the road. So the, the fact that volatility has fallen off, not, not a huge move, but around two and a half to three percent overnight does present an opportunity for UK corporates who hedge using anything other than normal forwards, um, the opportunity to look at getting some more cover in ahead of, of the Brexit decision later this month. So I think that, that that's where we're at on, on the UK corporate front. Think, things are looking uh, a little clearer, but I think the, the main risk to our clients is coming up down the road, and that's going to be the Brexit um, decisions that are coming up later in the month. Um, I'll go back to Phil, because there's not a huge, much, a huge amount extra to report, given that there are there is no actual clear outcome yet. <laughs> Thanks very much. It's really concise and uh, similarly very useful. Um, if we um, go to John, we're getting some questions now in the Q&A panel. So um, if you'd like to add to those, please do. We'd, we'd encourage you to ask as many questions as, as you like. And the questioners will remain anonymous. 
um, including one here, um, which is a question for John on the equity markets. I think given you know, we've seen some volatility already overnight, though not as much as four years ago. Um, you know, how do you think equities will, will trade over the next day or two, um, particularly in the US? And is there a do you think there, there'll be a tendency for tech stocks to rise, um, given perhaps now a likelihood that Trump's going to win and the Democrats aren't going to be able to penalize the big tech companies of, as, as they have been suggesting? Um, yes, I think that's a certain possibility is that you get a bit of a bounce back um, in the tech stocks and uh, the sort of you know, NASDAQ rally uh, generally as it were, a um, bit of a sort of relief uh, that there's going to be less investigation, perhaps, of the profitability and monopoly position of some of those large tech companies. Um, it's fair to say, though, that even then, the you know, direction of travel is certainly towards a slightly more restrictive environment for them. Um, and in terms of you know, how tech has done overall, and I'm just I'm very broadly talking tech here, but particularly the companies that have been sort of beneficiaries of the COVID environment, um, you know, two things have worked in their favour over the last eight months, as it were. Uh, one is that their business models have been dramatically accelerated by events, and it's very difficult to see that happening a second time. Um, and secondly, is that the net present value of the future profits of those companies um, have also benefited from a lower discount rate over that period, uh, helping them to re-rate upwards. So, um, you know, even though they can I think can still continue to prosper uh, the the, the uh, prospects for a you know further re-rating such as we've seen um, so far this year since COVID started is is not in the offing uh, necessarily. Okay, thanks, John. Um, question that's come through um, is um, if Biden wins, and you know we we have to say at this particular juncture it isn't if. And what happens if the Republicans control the Senate, which they, they appear to have kept hold of? Um, what, what does that mean in, in terms of fiscal stimulus? Well, it's a bit hypothetical at the moment, but I think you know, what we'd expect would be for the Democratic administration um, to, to put forward a big stimulus proposal, which um, the Senate Republicans would essentially veto and, and negotiate down. So, you know, what you would have in... I think in practice is a little bit of a uh, situation like we have had over the past few months where um, a democratic house has been arguing with the other two arms of government um, looking for a, a, a stronger uh, stimulus response, but with no overall conclusion, certainly in, in over the last few weeks. Um, so you, you have got gridlock, if you can call it that. Alternatively, you can say, well, the, the US system is working as it's designed to with, with checks and balances between the various arms of government. If um, Trump wins um, and you know, the Senate remains in Republican control, um, then we're, we're, we're really as we were. Um, I think the, the big change actually that you, that you would get is that you, you wouldn't get both sides playing politics ahead of an election. Um, you wouldn't have a lame duck period between November and January when President's inaugurated on the 20th. You've got the Senate, new Senate meeting on, on the 3rd. So they could actually begin to, to get together and provide a stimulus package a little bit quicker than otherwise might have been the case, although it would still depend on the resolution between the various parties because the House is, is still 
under democratic control. Um, question coming through again, when do we realistically expect an election result? Um, I hate to say this, but it really depends. And it's, it's one of those answers. And it depends whether the Democrats can um, either overturn um, the Republican leads in, in the key states. And I think you're, you're looking at, in particular, Pennsylvania, um, perhaps Georgia, uh, Wisconsin, and, and Michigan. Uh, and it could be fairly close in a couple of those. So um, if it's very, very close, we might have to wait for um, a further few days, perhaps even a week or so, depending on the states which have reported. And obviously then, if the Democrats did win, there's, there would be the possibility of, of Trump landing a challenge. So um, alternatively, if, if you know, the votes that have yet to be counted aren't quite as heavily Democratic, then you could see the Republicans winning by, by the end of the day. But I'm, I'm afraid that the answer quite legitimately is um, it depends. Um, got a question on currencies, um, uh, perhaps for Lewis here. Um, what do we think that the impact on the RAND will be in the short term? And I, I guess perhaps we've already seen a little bit of that with, with the dollar moving up um, modestly this morning. Lewis, what do you think? Yeah, I think the RAND's been on quite a good run since the sort of middle of the summer, really. Um, I, I'm, I'm surprised it's carried on as long as what it has. I would have thought all the recent developments in terms of further lockdowns, and obviously there's further measures coming in South Africa as well, would have started to take a bit more of an impact uh, over the last week. But that doesn't seem to have been the case just yet. Um, that said, the reaction overnight was certainly, well, I mean, certainly dollar RAND is, is a fair bit higher, and sterling RAND is also significantly higher. So I guess the initial reaction would be one of weakness, I think, in the short term. I was surprised the RAND was as strong as what it was, given everything going on. So certainly my short-term view would be a little bit further weakness to come. And I guess it's going to depend, largely be driven by dollar RAND, which at the moment, the dollar certainly looks like it's picking up a little bit of strength across the board. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a... You really disagree with that? Sensible. No, I think that sounds like a very sensible perspective. Thanks, Lewis. A right. uh, question coming through. Um, I must admit, I, I have a lot of sympathy with this question. Um, which is, it seems as though the Hispanic vote has been misread. Um, a number of people, including news agencies, have, have been um, saying that um, actually many, having experienced socialism elsewhere, um, that they would be move, they would move to Trump, despite uh, Trump's policy on the wall, etc. Um, Democrats have perhaps misread that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's you know you should never sort of make broad assumptions about any um, single group of voters. Um, and indeed, Hispanic voters aren't a single group. And I think you find it particularly in Florida, where a number of people of Hispanic origin come from Cuba, uh, Venezuela. Um, you've got, um, I think, a sizable evangelical community, Hispanic community from Puerto Rico as well. And, and they tend to be more natural Trump supporters. Now, against that, you've got um, people come of Mexican origin in states such as Arizona, and New Mexico, which, which you know, over the last few years have been turning the tide in Democrats' favour as well. But, but yes, I, I, I agree with that. And, and it may well be that um, the governor in, in Florida, I think it's, it's Rick Scott, and his empathy with the um, Hispanic voters there has helped to carry Florida for Trump in, 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 this, in this case. Um, 
Okay, um, I'm, I'm now going to open up to the rest of the panel here. We've got a, a question which is and based upon what we've seen so far and our knowledge of the electoral system, who do we think will win? So we're all going to jump off the fence here. Um, John, who do you think will win? Um, well, if I still carried money around, I just got a coin out of my po pocket and toss it at this particular point. It, it really, really is that close. The fact that it could come down to the, you know, the second congressional district of Nebraska, which only has one electoral college vote, as it were, is just extraordinary at this particular phase. Um, I'm going to go. I'll, I'm going with Biden, and that's not just wishful thinking. Okay. So we've got one vote for Biden here um, in the Investec Electoral College. Um, Lewis, um, your views, um, please. I'm going to go for Trump. I just feel like we've seen enough surprises in elections and referendums over the last four years that we just have to discount what pollsters are saying now. Um, the direction of travel looks like Trump's got the momentum. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to vouch for Trump. OK. Um, and you? Well, I'd, I'd really like to sit on the fence on this one, but um, I think, as I said, I'm, I'm being pushed off it. Uh, I, I do think Trump is probably going to win this one. Um, it's not impossible the Democrats win. It, it's a, a bit of a mountain to climb, and they should get the majority of votes from the um, so-called absentee ballots. But whether they can do enough to, to propel Biden to victory, I'm, I'm, I'm not totally convinced. So on balance, I think Trump um, is going to win here. Um, Okay, uh, thanks for that um, comment. Again, I think I'll ask my two fellow panelists here as well. Um, is it safe to say that polls in the US are now useless? Um, they've been badly wrong twice in a row, regardless of who wins. Um, let's start with Lewis. What do you think of opinion polls? Um, you know, not just in the US, but perhaps elsewhere as well. I think they're badly wrong everywhere at the moment, aren't they? I think if you look at the look at the Brexit vote, that was very much wrong. Look at the last last general election. I think everybody was expecting it to be much closer than what the end result was, and it looks like we're seeing it again here in the U.S. election. So I, I think they need to reevaluate who they're asking and perhaps the questions what they're asking moving forward because it just seems like they're they're way off um, quite often. John, are, are you going to be as scathing on opinion pollsters as Lewis just has been? Um, well, I can't fail to be really, can I, on, on the basis of the uh, results that we've seen so far. Um, I, I have some sympathy with them, and I, I'm not entirely unconvinced, as it were, that um, there are people out there who deliberately give the wrong answers to opinion pollsters just to put them on the wrong track. Um, and it, it's it's also hard, I think, when you're, you know, it's the same here in the UK with our um, first past the post election system um, and it's with the Electoral College in the US. It's one thing trying to call it on a sort of national polling basis. Uh, but actually, when the whole result just comes down to what could end up being a handful of counties in a small number of states with very, very slim margins, um, you know, it, it's, it's no doubt very, very difficult. But um, you know, in spite of all their protestations that they've uh, kind of, you know, reweighted the numbers to take account of different uh, sub demographies and such have you, it obviously isn't working. Um, and um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how, how you fix that, really. But I, I, can, I can guarantee the next time we come down to election, we'll still pay attention to what they have to say because you can't kind of just work in a vacuum, can you? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I don't know what the alternative is to um, to opinion polls. There, there are a couple of alternative techniques to straight polling, which um, some people have used, which 
certainly in the 2019 general election in the UK didn't didn't really work as well as as, as we'd hoped. I'll, I'll be a little bit kinder, I think, to the pollsters and say that um, if you take the 2016 election in the States, for example, um, the polls nationally were saying Hillary Clinton had a lead of about four percentage points over Donald Trump. Um, and they weren't wrong that Hillary Clinton would win the popular vote. Um, it, she actually won by around two percentage points. Where they got it wrong was in the state by state uh, distribution. And in particular, of course, the, the battleground states, a number of which Trump won, won very narrowly. Um, of course, the polls have been saying that Biden had had a, a much clearer lead than, you know, if he does finish in the pop, ahead in the popular vote this time, then the polls have really got that lead wrong as well. But um, I think, yeah, I don't see that there is much an alternative um, to polling, for, at least for now. We've previously for other events, we've looked, looked at bookies. I think they generally give quite a good indication of the direction of travel. Um, that's something we certainly looked at for the general election, and that gave you a good flavour of what the outcome might be. Um, and it certainly seems the bookies are, are backing Trump at the moment. So I think if you are looking for an alternative, I think there always will be opinion polls. And yes, the methodology probably does need revising slightly, but there are other potential alternatives that you can look at to try and gather an outcome. Um, question coming in here, um, with all the negative press over Trump, um, if he wins, what's it say about how people feel about society and opportunity? John, would you like to try and tackle that one? Wow, that's a big, it's a huge question to ask, isn't it? Um, I mean, it, it, it's a funny one in a way because you kind of think if people have felt in some way uh, lacking in opportunities and what society is giving them, uh, they might vote for change. And it's not clear to me that any that much of the American population will feel that they've done that much better under a Trump regime over the last four years, um, and, unless perhaps you know you're a corporate or a high rate taxpayer who's paying less tax than they would. Um, but the people who you would feel would be kind of you know uh, manning the barricades and bringing their pitchforks to the revolution, as it were, um, one might have expected them to shift to a you know, a, a, a different horse to have, have a change. Um, so in some ways, I'm, I'm slightly surprised on that front that uh, there hasn't been more of a backlash. I mean, you know, how much more Trump can promise to give these people without actually achieving it? I don't know. Um, obviously, he's got another four years potentially if he if he gets in and then he won't be able to do anything after that. Um, what will be really interesting, you know, in four years time or I should probably say just over two years time, because that's when all the sort of uh, the horse race will begin all over again, is to see what route the both parties go down uh, in terms of who they will look to put forward on the slate in 2024. My feeling is, is that if the Democrats fail this time round with what has really been a relatively centrist agenda, um, which they felt, I think they have to, they probably felt they had to occupy that middle ground. And that's why Biden was a candidate and not Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. Um, I think you could go into 2024 with a much more left-wing candidate uh, next time around. So they'll say, well, okay, well, this is really what we're trying to do. Um, and possibly that might bring the Republicans slightly back into the center. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure you can find another candidate who's quite like Donald Trump um, necessarily. So yeah, it's, it, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to uh, kind of uh, come to terms with it all in some respects. 
Sure. Okay, I've got a couple of questions here. I, th I think they're probably aimed towards me. So, uh, one has actually disappeared from my screen, so I'll try and paraphrase it. And, and that's that um, counting in Philadelphia has been stopped with the Republicans uh, 700,000 ahead. Um, isn't this unprecedented? And what do you think? Um, I, I must say, I hadn't, I wasn't aware that Philadelphia has stopped counting. That that's the first point. When, when I left the screens about 45 minutes ago, it was still going ahead. Um, but that I think I mentioned earlier that the absentee ballots are likely to be heavily democratic, and a number of them come from very democratic counties as well. So I, I don't think you know if they have stopped counting, and I'm not sure that they have. That there's anything necessarily underhand going on here. Um, I think the, the little anecdotal tale that we can tell is they, they stopped counting in Fulton County in Georgia, which is um, around the Atlanta area. And they stopped counting here not because of electoral fraud or anything. It's just that they had a burst water pipe and they couldn't get a plumber in time. So, you know, sometimes these human things do happen, even in U.S. election campaigns. Um, question here, um, which is, um, you know, the word on the street is that a, a Trump win this time around would be better for Boris um, and Britain in a post-Brexit environment, um, especially with respect to a UK-US trade deal. Um, what are our thoughts? You know, and I'd have to say, yeah, I, I sort of tend to agree with that because we, we know Trump is a, an Anglophile. Um, he's not particularly keen on Europe. He's keen on Brexit. And I think in terms of pecking order, in terms of selecting who, to do a trade deal first with, um, then I think the, the UK um, would be ahead of the EU. Um, you know, that said, trade deals are rarely easy to strike, and we, we know of a few issues that exist between the UK and the US, which, which could lengthen discussions. But I, I tend to say that if Trump does win, then you know, we will we'd be back on route to start negotiating, hopefully, a quick UK-US trade deal. You know, if Biden wins, then um, Biden, you know, by contrast, isn't a great fan of Brexit. Um, and he's also pragmatic enough without being an Anglophile to recognize that the EU is a bigger market for the states. And that the economic importance, at least, of um, trade links between those two blocks probably outrank um, those between the US and the UK. So, yeah, I, I would say a Trump victory would make it easier. Um, although, as I said, trade deals are never straightforward. Um, one for um, John here. How do you feel that China might um, react to the election result? Though I, I, I did do remember that you suggested Biden might still win. <laughs> yeah, you can't have forgotten that. That wasn't that long ago. Um, <laughs> so, um, how might China react? Well, first of all, China is kind of loving the whole thing, I should think, because they love, you know, seeing everyone else in disarray. Um, and isn't it marvelous in China where uh, they, you know, it's a one man, one vote system. And that one man is uh, Xi Jinping himself. But um, the yeah, I mean, I think when we were on this a couple of weeks ago, the, the point I made then was it actually doesn't necessarily matter who's in the White House uh, because the if you look at the uh, public opinion polls in the us there's one that's been uh, done fairly regularly and there's a recent update of it by pew research asking what people's citizens view us citizens view of china is was it favorable or unfavorable and about 70 percent of those polled had an unfavorable opinion 
of China. Uh, it doesn't necessarily dig down to what it is that they think is unfavorable about it, but it'll, you know, it will just be to do with the ideas that you know have been promulgated about you know intellectual property theft and stealing our jobs and uh, and uh, possibly their ambitions to you know take over the world as it were. Um, and on that basis, you know, both candidates were. Um, uh, campaigning on on a on a platform of being hard on China, so it's kind of out of the fat and into the fire. Really, you know, doesn't really matter which one of the wins from that perspective. One would have thought that the Democrats under Biden might actually have been more aggressive on sort of issues such as corporate governance and human rights, for example, uh, which Trump has not been that bothered about, in all honesty, during his presidency. So I think. You know, that angle would have been tougher under a Trump, sorry, under a Biden regime. Um, the question now is, you know, what does Trump do for his encore? Uh, should he be elected? Um, does he kind of double down on his aggression on trade on China? Um, does he try to kind of squash down their sort of technological capabilities, um, as we've seen, you know, with sort of effectively trying to balkanize them in terms of you know semiconductors for example and not allowing huawei access to the right sort of technology that's china's achilles heel in a way is it does not have its own you know semiconductor um uh manufacturing uh capacity um they, unless they march into taiwan at some point and uh, annex that um so you know it, it's going to be a, a difficult environment still for china I think, uh, you know, whoever's in charge, uh, the question will be whether Trump decides, you know, to pivot in another direction on his trade wars um, and start coming after Europe. Um, that is also a possibility which uh, would not be particularly friendly uh, to the continent if that was the case. OK, thanks very much, John. Um, I'm usually used to giving my views on currencies, um, just generally, including these webinars, but let, let's turn now to someone who, who actually works as one of the um, currency people on our sales desk. Lewis, what would be your short and medium term view of a euro projection based on a on a Biden win and based on a Trump win? And let, let's sort of make it easier. I think with don't don't you don't have to give targets or numbers just just directionally. Oh, I, th I, th I think the outcome is largely the same, regardless of who, who takes the White House from here for me. I, th I think Earlier on in the year, a lot of the projections were for euro dollar to be climbing back above 120. I think the fact that the blue wave is probably not a likely outcome now. I think that largely crimps that move somewhat. So I think euro dollar will remain below 120. Um, and certainly any significant surge higher is probably off the table for me at the moment. Um, and as far as sterling euro is concerned, I don't really think the euro is going to be too affected by this result at this stage and there's certainly no huge directional play expected there um, obviously Brexit is likely to be a bit of a problem for both the UK and the EU so it largely cancels each other out so I'm not expecting any huge move uh, versus the pound but euro dollar I certainly think you'll start to see those forecasts for a, a much higher trading range uh, probably likely to be reined in somewhat given yeah. the outcome and I think as you said previously there are, there are lots of other factors which are shifting currency markets and which will do um, over the medium term as well. It's not just about the election, is it? Uh, we've got a, a bit of a supplementary to one of the questions asked earlier. Um, again, you know, perhaps I shall pass this one around the panel, but I'll start with John as he answered the question originally was that, um, John, you mentioned a, a shift in political orientation 
by the Democrats towards the, the left in the future. Do you think Bernie, that's Bernie Sanders, of course, the, the left-wing senator from Vermont, do you think he would have won the election this time around had he stood rather than Joe Biden? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sh I'm not sure that he necessarily would have done at this point. I think the point I was making was that if the you know the Democrats fail this time around with a centrist agenda, they'll have almost no choice but to shift the other way. And I think the balance of power within the party will go there. Um, so had it been the other way around this time, and and you know they had gone with Sanders and and he'd have lost in a similar fashion to what's happening now, then they'd have decided they had to shift back to the centre. So. I think it's just it's reactive, um, uh, you know, policy shift, as it were, within the party, which will going to be happen. I'm, I'm not convinced that Bernie would have made a difference this time around necessarily. Yeah, Lewis, what do you think? Um, would it have been President Sanders? Do you think? I'm not so sure. I, I, th I think you logic would dictate a centrist candidate would get it, but I don't know. I, I just feel like that underlying support for Trump across the US is, is vastly underestimated um, as, as this result was proven. So I'm, I'm not so sure he might have got it. Um, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't really know, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I must admit, I think my, my personal view is pretty strong on that. I think if Sanders had stood, then he, he would have been roundly defeated. I think he is too far to the left for the majority of middle America, and, and that would have been reflected in a much quicker result. Um, than, than we have had and are enduring this morning. Um, right, one, one final question. I think we're coming to the end of our questions, the end of our time here. Again, let's throw this around the panel. Um, is a Trump win good or bad for the UK? Lewis, good or bad? I'll answer quickly. I think on the face of it, you would probably look at it and think it's potentially quite good for the UK in terms of Brexit negotiations, but I'm not sure who I'd rather be at a negotiation negotiating table with, if I'm completely honest. So I think initially it potentially looks good, but with Trump, you can just never, ever predict what's going to be coming down the road and could very, very quickly blow any trade talks out of the water um, with using Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, Trump win, good or bad, if he wins, of course. Um, I, I, I honestly don't think it makes a lot of difference to what goes on in the UK. I think we are perfectly capable of um, creating our own problems here. I, I know Boris, you know, seems to think that we can become Singapore on Thames. Uh, I'm rather inclined to believe we're heading to be Buenos Aires on Thames myself. So we'll just leave it at that. Okay, and I will um, similarly. I think be ambivalent, though. I do think that a Trump win would probably help to promote a trade deal between the UK and the US somewhat quicker than a Biden presidency. Okay, I, th I think that's all we have time for in terms of um, audience participation and Q&A right now. So I'll just wrap up by saying, look, um, we've got mixed opinions about who is going to win, but I think a majority of the panel, I think, is favoring Trump at the moment, though it is not impossible that the Democrats overturn what seems to be a Trump lead at the moment and just about nick it at the end. Um, if that's the case, then you could expect perhaps counting to go on for some time longer, and we wouldn't rule out the possibility of a court challenge as well to the Supreme Court if Trump loses narrowly. So I think that's where we are with the US election system. I think as everyone has um, hinted that there are other things happening in terms of financial markets globally, and of course the, the economic situation in, in the UK and the rest of Europe. Um, so it's not just all about the election. Um, we need to keep our eyes on the ball 
on factors, for example, such as the trade talks here, and of course the coronavirus pandemic and possible vaccines globally too. So um, thank you very much everybody for attending and also to our panelists, John Wynne Evans and Lewis Storm. Um, keep safe and well everybody and we'll see you in two weeks time. Thank you, bye-bye.